Okay, um, open up to Luke 23, please. That's our, our passage today. I'll remind you that um, Sam chose all the passages for this series, and he thought long and hard about it, so thanks, Sam, for all the work and the Bible studies you've written as well. Let's just pray as we come to God's Word. We thank you, Father, uh, for your word, for your revelation to us. And we do pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would help us today and this series as we think about these great things that you have done, that, that we, we would be changed and grown in our faith uh, through looking at these things and even today. Amen. Well, uh, back when I lived in the Sutherland Shire in Sydney, I used to play a game called Oztag with a team of people from my church in Cronulla. Oztag, if you don't know, is a game that's like touch footy except with tags on your side that people rip off to signify a tackle or a touch. And I can remember playing Oztag and we would always have a, a list of reserves waiting to play on the side of the field. And what would happen is if you were playing and you got puffed out on the field, you'd raise your hand and you'd yell out, Sub! Substitute! And then one of the reserves uh, on the sideline would substitute off uh, onto the field for you so that you could uh, have a break on the sideline. As Phil was telling us today, we're looking at the topic of substitution. That's our big word for today. But we're not talking about Oztag or touch footy or hockey or netball, but we're talking about the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, friends, the root problem for us all is we have a deep need for a spiritual substitute. Now, why is that? Well, it's because in our sin, we deserve God's judgment. And so we all, everyone in the world, has a deep need for a spiritual substitute to save them. The big idea for our message today is that Jesus is that spiritual substitute who takes the punishment on our behalf. Jesus is mine and your spiritual substitute who takes the punishment on our behalf. So we're going to be thinking about that today from Luke chapter 23. So we're going to see three things from our message. Firstly, who uh, is Barabbas? Secondly, what happened to Christ? And thirdly, what was the result? So firstly, who was Barabbas? Introducing Barabbas now. Who is he? What did he do? What's his punishment? And is it just? So we notice here in our text that Barabbas was a murderer. He was a troublemaker. Matthew's gospel calls him a notorious criminal. He'd been involved in a riot in the city and in murdering. Now, the problem in this whole idea of substitution for us is that in God's eyes, you could say, in a sense, that we are a bit like Barabbas, in the sense that in our sin, we are condemned, just as in Barabbas's sin, he was condemned by the law and by God. But in our sin, we are condemned. So for the purposes of Our message today, in this story, we are Barabbas because we know that the Bible teaches us that everyone is guilty before God 
and therefore we all stand condemned. Barabbas was on death row, but we're in the same boat as Barabbas because without Christ, we are doomed to a just punishment for our sin. Without Christ, we'd be on eternal death row. So where does this leave us? Well, friends, when we realise our dire situation as sinful humans, then we know we must look to the only one who can save us, Jesus Christ. I love the, uh, the other Colin Buse Cannon song called He Died Upon the Cross. Do you know that one? He died upon the cross for me, for me, for just for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross for me. Can you sing those words with gusto and with meaning? He died upon the cross for me, just for me. Now, friends, we need to find a spiritual substitute for us. So the second thing we see in this passage is that the innocent Christ is condemned. The innocent Jesus Christ is condemned and handed over to the will of the people. The context of this passage is Jesus has been captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, taken off to the house of the high priest, interviewed and accused by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish rulers, and then he comes before the Roman governor Pilate. And notice the emphasis on the innocence of Jesus in this text. It's striking, isn't it? Look at verse 4. Pilate announces to the, the priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. In verse 13, he says, I've examined him in your presence. I've found no basis for your charges against him. In verse 15, he says, Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Jesus has done nothing to deserve death. And in verse 22, for a third time, Pilate says to them, what crime has Jesus committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. So we see here that the innocent Christ is condemned. Jesus was not guilty. Jesus was not sinful, but he was innocent. He was the perfect man. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God. Now, as we read these accounts of, of Jesus' trial and crucifixion in the gospel, we need to remember the importance of a passage like Isaiah 53 to the faith of the early church. Isaiah 53 is all about how someone else uh, takes the punishment for Israel, how the innocent servant, the suffering servant, would bear the sins of Israel. It's important to the Old Testament story, important to the church, and it was important to Jesus' own understanding of himself. The innocent Christ was condemned as our substitute. What love the Lord Jesus has shown for us by dying on the cross. Friends, hang on to the Saviour for dear life and to him alone. Trust that your substitute, that your spiritual substitute is Jesus Christ. Do you trust that? 100%? Trust that our substitute, Jesus, lives in heaven and he will take you there to be with him 
someday soon because of what he's done for you, because of how he substituted himself for you and for your sin on the cross. Have you ever thought about why it all had to happen on the cross? John Calvin says it was because it was a judicial procedure. Jesus was before the courts of law and he was condemned. It should have been you and me. And in that judicial condemnation, he went to death for us. And it's a sign of what's happened spiritually. He took the punishment that was due to us from the Lord himself. Friends, it's as if we were playing spiritual touch football. You're on the field and you're puffed and you realise you can't do it anymore by yourself and so you call out for a substitute and that person is Jesus and he comes on and he swaps you out and he dies on the cross and he bears what you could not bear. So what's next? Well, now we've seen that the innocent Christ is condemned for us. And so what is the result? What is the result of the cross of Christ? Well, it's so that the guilty may go free. That's our third point, so that the guilty may go free. You see what happens in the passage? Pilate wants to release Jesus, but in verse 18, the crowd wants Barabbas released instead. The crowd is dead set on sending Jesus off to crucifixion. And so they'd rather that a rotten, filthy murderer be released instead of the rabbi, Jesus. And so Pilate gives in to their demands and he releases Barabbas and Jesus goes to the cross. Barabbas was in the same boat that we are in that he was substituted literally with Jesus. This is an example of us spiritually, isn't it? We might want to cast judgment on Barabbas, but we must see that he's a representation of us. What Jesus did for him in being swapped out of that condemnation, Jesus did for you. The innocent Christ is condemned so that the guilty one may go free. Now put yourself in the shoes of Barabbas. You're on death row and then someone else gets substituted out for you and they are condemned but you can go free. This is what Christ has done for us in the gospel. We do not deserve our salvation do we? We deserve condemnation. But in fact, this revelation tells us there's been a substitution. The story of Barabbas reflects the story of your life and my life. So how could we not want others to know this mercy that we've been shown? How could we not want others to know this substitution for our sin? Jesus has set us free. We might want to go away and and meditate on this fact. Uh, Maybe go on a spiritual retreat. Go out to Kokopara and spend an hour once, 
once every few months thinking about the cross, thinking and praying about this substitution. Well, what have we seen today? We've seen that we are Barabbas in the sense that everyone is guilty and therefore we all stand condemned. We've seen that the innocent Christ was condemned, that Jesus was not guilty, that he was innocent but that he died as our substitute. And we've seen what was the result of the cross. Because Jesus died, the guilty can go free. Because he was substituted for our judgment, Therefore, we can have our freedom. The topic of substitution is so important. Christ died for us in order to set us free. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 18, it's a great verse that explains this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Why not memorize that verse, hey? 1 Peter 3.18, what a great verse to memorise. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. This is the most wonderful news, isn't it? It's news that if we believe it, puts us on the front foot in evangelism in order to share this news with others. Now, there's a well-known quote these days from an atheist called Penn Gillette, who's part of the magician duo Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is an atheist, but listen to what he says about Christianity. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytise, which is don't share their faith. I don't respect that at all, he says. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because this would make it socially awkward, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytise? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He says, if, I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that, he says. It's a bit strange that he's still an atheist when he says words like that. But he's right, isn't he? If we had a way to save someone from God's wrath, we'd want them to know about it. We need to go out and to share the news of Christ's substitution with all who will hear. Friends, let us make this sharing a priority in our life. You might not think we do evangelism as a church very well. Fine, help us do it better, please. May God help us all with making this sharing a priority in our life. We need God's help in order to do this. And personally, also, we, we all need to be aware of the depths of our sin so that we can rejoice in the greatness of Christ's substitution. So here's the call for today. Make Christ your substitute. Don't miss this and leave yourself to face God's wrath without him. No, make Christ your substitute. You can do this by believing in him, 
by believing in him as your Lord and Saviour, by giving your life to him as your Lord and Saviour, make Christ your substitute and receive the benefits, these eternal benefits of what he's done for you. So here's the challenge as we leave today. Will we show others the mercy that Christ has shown to us? Will we live in thankfulness for the substitution of Christ for us? And will we tell others of their need to receive this substitution? Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you saw our deep need and you acted, that you so loved the world that you sent your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen.